Well, there was a movie that I had watched in high school, and it almost scared me away because of the title. It was called The Princess Bride, which now I love, absolutely love The Princess Bride. One author summarizes the plot well when he says, it's a bent fairy tale, complete with all the fencing, chasing, escapes, and silly accents that you would expect, including such unique folk as Inigo Montoya, whose accent I will not do, who has dreamed his whole life of finding the six-fingered man who killed his father. The most beautiful woman in the world, the blonde buttercup, loves Wesley, a poor stable boy, but when he's captured by pirates, she's chosen by evil Prince Humperdinck to be his princess bride. Along the way, she gets kidnapped, he gets killed, and it all ends up okay. It's a great summary. If you remember Inigo Montoya, he's got this one line throughout the whole movie that he says over and over again. He says, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father, prepared to die. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father, prepared to die. Over and over and over again throughout the movie. It's this constant mantra. And that line defines his entire life and all of his training as an expert swordsman. And I have to wonder that maybe because of his single-minded focus on vengeance, how much of life he was actually missing. His identity was so completely bound to vindicating the memory of his father. He becomes for us a parable of those who can't see God's blessing because he has an unhealthy fixation on living in the shadow of someone else's life and because of an inability to embrace one's own grief. In our story today from the gospel reading, Jesus is going to enter into a time of preparation, and his time of preparation is filled with loss and with sorrow. His time of preparation, I think, teaches us some really important lessons about our own times of testing and preparation for what God's preparing us for. Back in verse 4, we had met this man named John. And John is baptizing out in the wilderness. He's proclaiming this message of repentance and forgiveness of sins. And he promised that there was going to be one who would come who would baptize in the Holy Spirit. And the gospel writer tells us that it was in those days that Jesus came to Galilee to be baptized by John in the River Jordan. And the Holy Spirit, when he was baptized, came on Jesus. And the Father's voice came out of the clouds saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the one who is going to bring in God's kingdom. And before the reality of Jesus's kingdom ministry was going to take place, there were two very important things that had to transpire. First, that same Holy Spirit who anointed Jesus had to drive him out to the wilderness. And second... John had to be arrested. So in this account, the gospel writer encourages us through Jesus' example to discover the ways that God's shaping us through trial and through those who are a part of our story. The same Holy Spirit, remember, that was on Jesus, that anointed him, is the same one that drove him out into the wilderness. And in this account, the animals are mentioned, which reminds us of how desolate this wilderness is. This place that was only suitable for animals to inhabit now became the habitation of our Savior. And I think that's what trial feels like a lot of times. It's those places of tiredness, those places of wilderness, those places of loneliness that Satan comes and most often opposes us. 
And yet it's those places that shape us the most. So if I were to ask you some of the events that happened in your own story that have shaped you, you would probably recount some kind of moment of trial or hardship that has made a lasting impact on who you are. One of those moments occurred for me about 10 years ago. Ash and I had just gotten married, and six months into our marriage, we packed up everything we owned into this big, bright, yellow Penske truck, which was only a 10-foot, and we could still only fill it halfway because we were only married six months. And we drove from California to Chicago so that I could finish school. And both of us always had to work while we were in school to pay our tuition costs. So early in our marriage, we felt strained financially about the stress that occurs with finances and trying to pay for school. And the problem with moving to this new place is that now we both had to find new jobs, but we were lacking the professional network and then the family network to support us there. And we had savings, but it wasn't a whole lot. And I remember finding a part-time job at Caribou Coffee, which I was thrilled to have, but it took some time for Ashley to find full-time work. And the problem is that the tuition and the rent costs were combined into one thing. So that means that if you can't pay, not only are you kicked out of school, but now you have to find a new place to live. So it's like double the stress, right? So after a few months, I'm looking at our savings account and I realize there's only $200 in our savings account. And my head is just starting to wander into all these negative places. Do I have to quit school? Do we have to sell off everything we own so that we can rent another Penske truck, drive across the country and live with our parents? Crazy stuff. It's kind of like when you have a cough and you're looking on WebMD, trying to figure out what you have and you're certain that you've contracted some exotic illness. These are the kinds of mental gymnastics my mind is going through about what's going to happen with these finances. So I remember just kneeling in our apartment and crying and praying. I was so upset. I was upset that in my pursuit of being faithful to Jesus, that he would take us all the way across the country only to turn us back around again. And I couldn't understand why everyone around me had such an easier time than I did. God had brought me to a wilderness and it took time and it took a lot of tears to recognize it as a wilderness. But I put away all those thoughts from my head, those easy way out thoughts where I thought, you know, maybe we should just move back put all those away. Maybe I have to quit school. And after I put those away, I just prayed for a long time through tears. And then I called up a few friends that were close and I said, can you pray for us? Here's what's going on. And what's amazing is later that week, Ashley amazingly found this job and it was as a caterer. She got to work full time. We didn't make a ton of money, but we made just enough. And to our surprise, a few friends were really kind and they provided us a little bit here and there just to get through this month's rent. And so we could finally get to the edge of the wilderness. We could see civilization ahead of us. And as those gifts came in and we realized we could pay our rent that month, it felt like the angels were coming to attend to our needs, just like Jesus in the wilderness. God taught us very early in our marriage about what it means to ask for daily bread. And as we think about our moments of growth, I wonder where those spaces are 
that we look back on and we say, you know, God used that moment to show me that I'm his child and that I'm deeply loved by him. It's in those kinds of trials that we learn who God is and the kinds of things that he's shaping us for and who he's shaping us into. And so it's good for us to build habits, to remember those spaces and those times. Perhaps we feel even right now the the burden that comes with being in an uninhabitable mental, emotional, or physical place. Whatever that space is that you are in or that you've been in, what this story invites us into is to reimagine that place as a place where God will form us. It's an invitation and it's an opportunity. It's not a mistake and it's not a consequence of your own making. It's easy for us to take on unnecessary self-induced shame by blaming ourselves for being in the wilderness. Sometimes we think, if I had just done something better, or if I had just been more wise in navigating this or that relationship, then I might not feel the way that I do, or I might not be in the situation that I am. And that shame cycle just spins out of control. Instead, the passage invites us to embrace the wilderness and to ask the Holy Spirit how the wilderness is preparing us for the good works that he has for us to do. Jesus started in Galilee and the Holy Spirit had anointed him. And then the Holy Spirit drove him out of Galilee and into the wilderness. But at the end of that wilderness, the Holy Spirit brings him back into Galilee where he's fully prepared to preach there once again. Those spaces that we go through, they train us to keep Satan and to keep besetting sin from gaining a foothold in the most important parts of our life. So recognizing and embracing the wilderness prepares us for good work, and it prepares us for a deeper experience with our Heavenly Father. Notice also, preparation for Jesus not only meant embracing the wilderness, it also meant bidding farewell to a dear friend and a family member, John the Baptist. It would have probably been devastating for him, but note that Jesus wasn't defined by resentment and he wasn't defined by the avenging of the memory of John for John's unjust incarceration. John's life did have meaning though for Jesus and it contributed to Jesus's story and his calling. And so the memory of friends and family, those who are closest to us, they should contribute to who we are, but they shouldn't define who we are because God has an individual plan for all of his children. So God often puts people in our lives and he does that and he shows us his character through them and they guide us on our walk with him. Sometimes God even puts people in our lives to show us examples of who we shouldn't be like and what things we might do that aren't helpful in our walk with Christ. Sometimes a person's influence is absolutely glorious, and sometimes it's incredibly troubling. But all of those people are necessary for our formation. So John was absolutely necessary to Jesus's life trajectory. And I find a lot of comfort in that idea that people are necessary and they're impactful, but ultimately they don't dictate the contour, the contours of life's trajectory, which is very unlike the parable of Inigo Montoya. So this is what I mean. There are going to be others who will speak things that you and I need to hear. 
who are going to support us in very intentional ways and unintentional ways that are absolutely necessary for us. And we're going to do the same things for other people. And as incarnation grows, I'm really excited to see the ways that this is going to take place. I'm grateful for the ways that our sending church, Restoration Anglican, has been part of our story. And then as I look down the road, I'm excited to think about the ways that we're going to be part of somebody else's story when we plant eventually someday. There are those who are going to come to this church and they're going to be baptized into Christ's church through the ministry of incarnation. There are going to be some who are going to be married through incarnation. There are going to be some who are going to be prayed for by you who are part of incarnation. And there are even going to be some who are going to be buried by incarnation. And by incarnation, what I'm referring to is this interconnected web of followers of Jesus who depend on one another, who challenge one another, and who bring each other mutual joy. We need each other. And as I think about our common tables that you'll hear about later, that's just a small way to build that connectedness. The connectedness that we need to our neighbors, those who surround us as a church. It'll help us become a church that South Arlington needs. And a church that actually needs South Arlington, there's an interwoven mutual dependence. It's not a life that's disembodied from the world. And so as we look ahead individually, and as we look ahead as a congregation, we should reflect on our times of preparation together. What situations have had an impact on who we are? And where did they get us today? What situations even right now feel incredibly difficult? And who are the people who have had an influence on our story and the person that we're becoming? We should spend time thinking about all these ways that God has prepared for us and that we've learned from prior relationships. And as you look around this congregation at your friends here at Incarnation Anglican, you could spend time even this week asking God, how has he already used this community to shape who I'm becoming? And who am I excited to learn from in this community? As you look back, are there relationships that maybe have too strong a hold on you that you sort of regret holding on to? After you have communion, take a moment to be prayed for by our prayer team. Or maybe you feel like you're in the wilderness right now. It's a good time to be prayed for. And after the service, when you eat popcorn today, yes, there is popcorn. When you eat popcorn today, begin to know somebody new. Get to know them by name. And then this week, start to pray for them by name. Ask God how you can bless your neighborhood and those who you meet at Incarnation Anglican. Together and individually, let's discover those ways that God is shaping us through trial and through those who are a part of our story. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you govern all things in heaven and earth. Mercifully hear our prayers and grant that in this mission fellowship, the pure word of God will be preached and the sacraments duly administered. Strengthen and confirm the faithful, protect and guide the children, visit and relieve the sick, turn and soften the wicked, arouse the careless, recover the fallen, restore the penitent, remove all hindrances to the advancement of your truth and bring us all 
to be of one heart and mind within your holy church, to the honor and glory of your name, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.